We want to say a couple of things before we get started here. Uh, we want to welcome, we, have, we now have 47 states and, and Washington, D.C. finally tuned us in. So we're going to straighten them out. We're going to find out who's saved in Washington, D.C. Uh, we got uh, 47 countries plus a bunch that don't register because they're probably in places it might be illegal to tap into Christianity. So we want to welcome all of you all. We thank you for participating and uh, being a part of what God's His Word. We really want to hammer the Word here. We want you to stay focused on God's Word. That's the only thing that's going to be left standing. So we welcome all of you that have uh, joined us from around the world and certainly here all over the United States. We're trying to find out what's wrong with Alaska, Montana, and Wyoming. So... If you know anybody in those states, tell them, ask them what's wrong, why they're not tuning in. But uh, we're just, <clears throat> we're thankful for all that God's doing. I want to uh, remind you of something. I want to keep this in front of you because uh, I've got some more confirmation on it this week. And if you don't have a copy of this, we want to give it to you. Uh, in September the 26th, 2020, God gave me a word for the body. And this, this word's went around now. It's not just in this body, but... Uh, and the, it's, a, it's a word, and I want to share something with you that I think is happening clearly. It says, America has missed its day of visitation, therefore she will begin to grope as men in Sodom at Lot's door. And I think you see our country is struggling in so many ways. The righteous will be strengthened, but the wicked will wax worse and worse. And we're seeing that, aren't we? We see the righteous being blessed and strengthened. God, going forward, value will be in things that sustain life. America has lost its way in leading the world to the throne of God. That was our job. You know, uh, I was reading this. This is what came to my attention. I, my wife and I were discussing this yesterday evening, but uh, I was reading in Scripture yesterday where God told Israel, said, I'm going to put the fear of you on the rest of the nations. And that's where we used to be. Because we were the most God-fearing nation. But we're losing that fast. The fear of us was on other nations. We've lost that in a lot of ways with other nations. America's lost its way to leading uh, the world to the throne. That was our job. The protection, that was Israel's job first. They lost sight of it. The protection will remain for those who fully trust in the Lord. And this is what caught my attention out of this word. Uh, but will evaporate from those who trust in themselves and systems of this world. So you need to make sure where you're standing, because I think we're seeing that. We're seeing the Lord, uh, uh, the protection remain for those who fully trust in the Lord, but it's evaporating from those. And then it says, God is coming to the earth, and the earth has not made proper preparation. We've not made ourselves ready for the Lord. That's why many are going to destruction. Soon the world will begin to shake and will start its final descent toward its appointment with its Creator. And we got one. Amen. We have an appointment with the Lord. All of us do. And then true justice will appear and no one will be able to escape the appearance, and God's the appearance of God's glory and His justice. So even those of us who name the name of Christ and follow the Lord, the Bible says we will stand before the Lord and give an account of ourselves. 
will stand before what Paul calls the, uh, the Bema Seat. Some will be rewarded, some will be saved as though by fire. And then the world will be judged at the great white throne judgment. So the Lord's trying to keep our focus and keep us ready, and we need to be winning the loss. We've been winning the loss, and we've had a couple more people get saved this week. Uh, and so we've got a lot more folks to baptize. Amen. The Lord's good. He's faithful. So we're thankful for all that. Let me, uh, I just want to say in Psalm 95, it says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. All right, we're going to try that again. Sorry, God. <laughs> oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Hallelujah. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Who's thankful? Say something. Long-suffering. Forgiveness. Love. Faith. Grace. Mercy. Jesus. Christian brothers and sisters. Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us come before His friends with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In His hand are the deep places of the earth. Amen. The heights and hills are His also. Amen. The sea is His, and He made it. Amen. His hands form the dry land. Amen. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Amen. Hallelujah. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise again. He's worth God is a promise keeper. The Bible says He's not a man that He should lie. And every door He opens can no man shut. And every door He shuts can no man open. Your God is still on His throne. Let me remind you, Isaiah, when he wrote, he said Uzziah had passed away. And Uzziah was a pretty good king. And Isaiah was troubled in his spirit. But then he started seeking the Lord. And looked what the Lord showed him? He showed him the Lord high and lifted up on His throne. He said, it don't matter who's on the throne down there or who's not on the throne down there. I'm still on my throne. God is in charge. Amen. Can you give Him praise? Hallelujah. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise one more time. He's worthy. Everybody needs to be seated. If you got a nursery child, you can go over there. If you're not already, perhaps you're going to stay with me. After the worship team goes down, I was looking here at this little uh, a couple of grains left in that. Before it goes all the way down, I'm going to flip that over before I start preaching. You can bet on that. But uh, I'm glad there's a couple of grains left because they're going to shut the lights down here right now. And I'm going to count to five and then they're going to roll something for you. Five, four, three, two, one. Turn it up. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 42, Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. I want you to know, church, that Jesus Christ could come this month. Or He might come 
come next week. Or he could even come... have your Bibles as I flip this over. Just like that, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, bam. Keith told me he's glad the preacher went when I gave him that. I said, hopefully it starts at the top. <laughs> but there'll be some preachers that won't make it, I'm sure. The Lord's coming soon. He gave us this prophetic word in 2020. We are that terminal generation. The hourglass turned over in 1967. I have no problem saying that to you. We don't know the day nor the hour. The Bible's clear about that. But the Bible said in several places we'll know the season. We are in that season. So I'm not going to preach on the end of time right now. I'm going to preach on something. I'm going to take a little break from what we've been talking about because I really believe the Holy Spirit's called me to share this with you today. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. I showed you that video because you need to be ready. Uh, we, none of us have the promise of tomorrow, right? And the other exception, of course, is the rapture. When the Lord comes back for those who are His. And then the world gets plunged into the great tribulation. But I'll look at Matthew 7, verse 13, and this is familiar to all of us, but I want to point out some things because we read through it. This may be the most uh, tragic thing Jesus shared in all the Scripture that He Himself spoke while He was here on earth. Verse 13, He says, Enter in the narrow gate. And I'll just throw this up here. Most of you heard me say this before. But the word narrow is the Greek word stenos. And it means narrowing. Okay, so stenosis, you all have heard those terms used in medical things and stuff. It's the narrowing of something. So the way is narrowing because we're less of us, more of Him, right? That's the goal. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. And why would he say difficult's the way? Because you have opposition. I want to I say the devil is not hanging out at the bars and the drug dealers. He's already got them. He's after those who have not made a decision or those who are following Christ. He wants to beat back on us. We pose a threat to Satan. The drug dealer don't pose a threat to Satan. He's doing his will. We pose the threat to Satan. That's why we have an adversary. We, we're the ones that gets push, pushed back against. He says, because narrow is the gate, difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. And then he says, beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Then Paul had that problem. Remember, he said, I'm going to send Timothy to you because I can't send anybody else. The rest of the guys I send to you, they all seek their own. They're after their, for them. 
Timothy's the only one that didn't have eros, right? Let me draw these hooks up here. We usually deal with two words, and there are three words for uh, love in, in Greek, but we deal with these two. Agape, which we illustrate with a straight arrow, and then eros, uh, we illustrate with an arrow with a hook in it. Because eros looks like agape when it first coming at you, but it turns because eros became a sexual term later on, but it's original. It's a self-centered love. In other words, <clears throat> I'm coming over to your house because I love you. And 20 minutes in it, I'm trying to sell you Amway. <laughs> Just tell me up front if you're coming with Amway. I'm not against Amway. <laughs> but you see, uh, love, and we have, to treat, we have to teach our children, our young ladies, our girls, to recognize eros from a man and vice versa now. I mean, it's bad on both sides. And so that when, when somebody's saying, I love you, that they really mean it from God's perspective. Love with no motive. That's the word that's used in John 3.16. It's actually the verb form, agapao, because it's action, right? For God so agapao is the word that's used there in John 3.16. Love with no motive. God, we didn't have anything to give God. Our righteousness was as filthy rags. There was none good, no, not one. All, all of us are sinners. So God loved us for our sake. And that's how he wants to train us to love. To love others for their sake. And Eros became sexual over time. But originally it was a symbol with a snake with its own tail in its mouth. He's consumed with himself. And that's, if you look at the world, most of them is that. Most of the world falls into that category. And we all have to battle that. So Paul said that, said, I can't see anybody but Timothy because the rest of them basically are, got hooks in them. And he says, uh, you will know them by their fruits. Do not men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs and thistles. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruit you will know them. And then notice what he gets into. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name. Done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Some of your translations may say iniquity. pretty strong thought there, isn't it? Not everybody that claims the Lord is going to go to heaven. We know that as a general rule, but to think about it, just to really let it sink down, we're going to get to the rest of this in just a minute. But to think about the things that are being said here by Jesus. Think about something else. You know, the question arises, were these people really doing things? Yeah, well, he didn't deny it. And we know Jesus' name above all names. His name is powerful. The devil's afraid of his name, no matter where it's at, I'm sure. But the problem is, whatever they were doing, they were doing it without a relationship. They didn't have a genuine relationship. Maybe they were like the Egyptians from Egypt. 
the, magi the magicians that Moses had to fool with. Who knows? But possibly this is the most tragic saying of Christ in the Bible. And here's why. These people that responded to that, that he's talking about here, they were assuming they were going to heaven. Now think about that for a minute. That is, I don't think there's any greater illusion that we can have than to be self-deceived about our eternal destiny. Think about all the Muslims who are told that if they die killing one of us, a Christian or a Jew, that that's an automatic ticket to the eternity. It has nothing to do with relationship. It's all about works, right? Think about the deception that's behind that. And then they're told when they get to the other side, even the women are told this, and we can't even talk about this in, in mixed company, but the things they're told about what awaits them on the other side, which is sexual, is horrendous. And you think about, it's one thing, like I've done before, and I hate it, to drink chocolate milk thinking it's okay and it'd be spoiled. That's the worst taste in the world. I, I have smelled my milk for the last 40-some years. Anybody's ever drunk a bad chocolate milk know what I'm talking about. That's the worst taste. But think about this. These people are self-deceived. Think about people with false religions. And we know God's fair. We know they're going to get exposed to it. They, everybody has a choice. He's going to, people turn him away. Uh, there's more, you know, to be a Christian where Stephen's at, our co-labor is a challenge. He just told me this week they are playing the sniper game, Boko Haram. And they're killing people on the roads, streets, everywhere again. There are only two options for eternity. You're either going to live in heaven or you're going to live in hell. That's it. Now, those of you that are here, remember now how God has positioned us. I'm speaking to people around the world. So you may be having your salvation. You're good. That's good. But let's remember that God has given us a voice for everybody. And there are probably some people here in this morning that maybe are weighing in the balance. But if you're not, so be it. We need to learn what Jesus is teaching here so we can be effective ministers to those who are lost. So there's only two things, places we can go, heaven or hell. Now, these people seem to be surprised. And I, I'm going to define the problems here in just a minute. So you can introspect yourself. We're told to do that. So you can think about as you minister to others. Who, I mean, this is a typical answer that I get when I ask somebody if they are saved or if they're born again or if they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they've been redeemed. A typical answer I get is, I go to church. Or I went up in Bible school is another answer. But Jesus says salvation will actually impact your life. It won't be something you check a box on. It will cause you to be obedient. He's going he's to talk about that here in just a moment. So there are two options for, the, for all of us, heaven or hell. I, I didn't make the rules. That's just the way it is. 
You can get mad at the church and walk out. You can say, I ain't going to no church where they talk about hell. Well, it doesn't change the fact. The one who rose from the dead. Now listen, I don't care who your grandpa is or mine is. I don't care what uh, uh, professor you listen to or whoever you read books after. The one who rose from the dead said there is a heaven and a hell. Now, I'm taking what the one that rose from the dead, I'm taking his word over everybody's in everything. And then he, so the, the narrow way demands, here's what the narrow way demands. Let's talk about being saved, all right? That's what I really want to talk about for a moment here. What does it mean to be saved? How, how is somebody born again? When you come to the narrow path, you've got to make some decisions. Number one, you have to deny yourself. You, that's the battle, right? The battle is, forget about all the things that sin manifests itself in. It, sin, sin manifests itself a thousand different ways. Just think about what it boils down to. I'm going to do what I want to do, not what he says. That's sin. I'm going to do it my way. So the first thing that this narrow path requires is a self-denial and also a denial of self-righteousness. I'm good because I'm better than the guy across the street. That's not how this works. That's what the Pharisees fell into. So when the Pharisee came in with a guy who realized he was a sinner and needed to be forgiven and have eternal life, was saying, forgive me, beating his chest, I'm a sinner. The guy that stood down beside him said, I thank God I'm not like him. But he was worse than him because he was self-deceived. At least the sinner knew where he was at. And that's part of what's going on here. So you've got to deny yourself. You've got to deny your self-righteousness. You're not... Good because you're good. You're good if you are good because of the righteousness of Christ. You have, a, you have a position and then you have a walk, right? Holiness has to do with your position. Righteousness has to do with your condition. That's all New Testament doctrine. You have a position. You got brought into the kingdom not because you earned it, not because you've done something good one day and God said, come on in. You come to the kingdom because you realized you were a sinner and the Lord cleaned you up. You didn't clean yourself up. He cleaned. That's holiness. And then righteousness is what we're called to live and walk out. The other thing that this narrow path requires, it requires a recognition of sin. I've run... You can believe this. It was hard for... I about fell out my chair if I'd have been sitting in a chair. I would have. People that tell me they don't sin. I've had that happen two times in my life. One of them told me they didn't sin. Whew, my wife heard that one. And both of our hairs got parted. In fact, in fact, I I started laughing. I thought they were joking. They weren't joking. It got real cold in that room. Then I ran into another guy, said he, I was trying to witness to, said he didn't need a Savior. I said, why is that? He said, I, ain't, I don't sin. I ain't never sin. So there are some people like that. We've got to recognize sin. If you're going to go on that narrow path, you're going to be willing to deny yourself. You're going to be willing to deny your own self-goodness or righteousness. And you've got to recognize your sin. And it may not be as bad as someone else's, quote-unquote, in your mind. Then there's a call for full repentance. If you're going to go down this way, it means to turn and go a different direction. That's what repentance means. 
I was going the wrong direction, now I'm turning and going the right right direction. And those of you that live like me before uh, GPSs and were like Clark off those movies and didn't want to stop and ask for directions even though your wife was begging you to, we've done a lot of turning around and going back the other way. So that's what's repent. Full repentance. Turn from your life. And then a commitment to... Now here's the, here's the last thing I want to say about this narrow path. What does it take to go down this narrow path? It takes a denial of self, denial of self-righteousness, recognition of sin, to repent, a commitment to follow Christ, no matter what the cost is. That's going down the narrow path. You might want to jot those things down. You don't have to jot them down now. We can go back and listen to this, whatever. If you're going to witness to somebody, you can't just say, pray this prayer, and you're okay. They need to know who Jesus is. They need to realize what He's done for them. And it needs to come out of their heart. I don't ever say, pray, pray what I pray. I've never done that in 30-some years. When I go to lead somebody to Christ, it happened just yesterday. We went to lead somebody to Christ just yesterday. I say, you need to be praying your own words. You don't say, that's mechanical. And, and the guy's pretty bad off, so I couldn't hear him praying. And, and I said, now you pray. He said, I was praying. So I said, that's good with me. He took a stand on me. He said, I was praying. So that's going down that path. And commitment to follow Christ no matter what. I know guys who's lost things and kept following Jesus. I know women who've lost things and kept following Jesus. And I know people who've lost things and turned their back on God and went straight back to the world. If you ever feel like quitting, you need to go read the book of Job. And that'll make you quit feeling sorry for yourself. So those are the things that encompass the narrow path. Now let's talk about these people. Let's see what could have been wrong with them. One of these things could have been wrong with them, or all of these things could have been wrong with them. Two of them could have been wrong with them. This passage brings up these problems. Number one, a false view of the gospel. Say the same words I'm saying, even though it's not coming out of your heart. We teach people to recite things from kindergarten on up. Actually, before kindergarten. It needs to come out of their heart. You need to challenge that person that you want to lead to Christ for them to say their own words or to come out of their own heart. You explain the gospel to them. You explain who Jesus is to them. Most of them are going to know in this country. I've found out. I've run into a few that don't. But then you ask them, do they believe that? Do they believe that Jesus died on the cross? Do they believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do they believe that He died on a cross for their sins? Do they believe He rose from the dead? Make sure they believe that. And then announce to them, you're a sinner. And then I try to, I, I try to bring everybody in. I feel like the Holy Spirit helps me with this. I, I don't single them out. I say, hey, we're all sinners. Well, I, ha- I had to be saved. I had to repent. I have to ask for I, we're all, We all had to go this way. You're not being singled out here. If you want to go to heaven, if you want to be a part of the body of Christ, if you want to know Jesus and be in His family... This is what you got to do. I had to do it. And you've heard me say this from this pulpit. Don't be afraid to walk that aisle. Everybody in here has probably walked that aisle before. 
You're not out of place. Now, I know some churches, they don't want you to come up front. They don't want to hide you out. But this is, salvation's all about public stuff. That's why we baptize people out, out in the public. It's about a public confession. We're no longer, we're not ashamed of Christ. So don't be afraid to walk this out. If you need to talk to God, if you need to be born again this morning, if you need a prodigal, you need to come home, whatever. If you need healed, whatever. So the first one is they may have a false view of the gospel or God's word. That certainly can be a problem for a lot of folks. I was troubled this week and had one of my meetings of somebody's family member had found a new gospel. You know what Paul said about that. I want you to be equipped because it's time. I believe we're close to leaving here, but I've also, and I feel this because the Lord ministered to me this morning in something that I can't preach today, but it's coming. We're going to put it up like the movie theaters outside coming soon. I believe the harvest is ready. We need to go pluck the harvest. We're seeing it here. We know the harvest is ready. And like some of those people I talked, up, talked to, and one of the guys had me out back. He said, I believe God's trying to get our attention up in these mountains. I believe He's trying to call us back to Him. I believe it too, the harvest. Jesus said the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And a lot of us are, are uh, timid about reaching people. But hey, it's got to get over that. And know the gospel, know what to tell them. And re- watch this video ten times. You have to get them ready. Tell them, hey, no, no, no. You've got to come to Christ. This is how it works. The second thing that they probably were dealing with was the false sense of assurance. We certainly know that. They had this false sense of assurance. If you will, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. They got this false sense of assurance. And look what Paul said to these in verse 1 of chapter 13. Let's read a couple of verses here. And I'm slowing down this morning because I want us to be soul winners when we leave here this morning. Everybody knows we're supposed to be. Some of you are doing a great job of it. Some of you are active in sharing your faith. But it's more than sharing your faith. When we say sharing your faith, it almost sounds like it's about us. There's a time for you to tell your testimony when that time's right. But what we need to be doing is spreading the gospel. Good, you know what? Euglion is the Greek word for gospel. You know what it means? Uh, good news. And that's where we're so, we shallow it down. That's good news with a reward. And your reward is knowing Him, having eternal life, and everything else that comes along with that. So it says, I will be the third, uh, This will be the third time I am coming to you by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. I have told you before uh, and foretell as if I have present the second time and now being absent I write to those who, are sin, uh, those who have sinned before and to all the rest that if I come again I will not spare since you seek a, proof, seek a proof of Christ speaking in me who is not weak toward you but mighty in you. For though he was crucified in weakness yet he lives by the power of God. Now this is a carnal Church. They had some of the best churches, church services on, in the natural. You know what I'm saying? Some of you grew up around that. They had some of the best churches in the, church services in the natural, but they were full of flesh. And Paul had to deal with this Corinthian church over and over. They let the world come in, and they, they made church all about what they could get instead of what they could give to God. And they were going under fast, and they were being swallowed up by the world because the church developed... And a lot of churches do this. They developed a 
church menta- uh, drug addict mentality toward the church. If they come to church and don't get something or don't feel something, God didn't show up. But you know, what if Elijah had been that way? What if Elijah, Elijah, the whirlwind come by, the Bible said God wasn't in it. The earthquake come by, God wasn't in it. What was it? A still, small voice. So there's time and place for all that, but you can't make one or the other. You've got to have a balance of that, right? Then he says, for we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Examine, listen to what he says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. He says, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? So he's telling us to check ourselves. And how do we check ourselves? We check ourselves with the Word of God. You don't ask your mom. You don't ask your best friend. Am I right about this? If you're holding unforgiveness towards somebody and your best friend tells you that's okay, they're lying to you. That's illegal in the kingdom. In fact, Jesus said, if you don't forgive, you don't get forgiven. I don't care what your best friend says. If, if you're holding unforgiveness or hatred towards somebody and your best friend who's supposed to be a Christian tells you that's okay, they're lying to you. Can I get one amen? amen. All right. I was getting ready to quit and take up an offering. Break the silence. Now, let's go back to Matthew 7. It says, the third thing I want to say to you, besides the false view of the Word of God, a false sense of assurance, a failure to examine ourselves with the Word, that's the big one. Because we all grow up with slants. Some people in here grew up Methodist. Some people in here grew up Presbyterian. Some people in here grew up Baptist. Some people grew up Pentecostal. Some people grew up non-denominational. Some people grew up in the Church of God. We got them from all walks of life in here. And some of you grew up heathens, and you're probably better off. Because you didn't get a church slant slammed on you. (laughs) But we all got a slant, right? Forget your slant from it. That's what I had to do. You'd realize the reason I pastor churches the way the Holy Spirit leads, because I had to go to the river, the creek bank, for a couple of years and realize some of what I was taught was not in the Word of God. And so I saturated myself with the Word of God. Thank God for churches and a few denominations that are sticking with the Word of God. But even in those denominations, you'll find a church astray that's doing its own thing. This is it, folks. This is it right here. We're not here to promote living water. We're not here to promote Basilea. We're here to promote Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. You don't have to follow every advice I give you. But you need to follow every word that's in that book. Every single one of them. And you know I'm a careful counselor. If I tell you something and I don't have chapter and verse for it, I will tell you this is what I think. I'll even do that publicly. If I've got something to say and it's not necessarily chapter and verse, I'll say, everybody says what the preacher thinks. Right? Now I'll give you some things I feel like I've learned, but I want to make sure that it ain't canonical. Right? It's not in the canon. So you, you make sure you devote yourself to God's Word. And a failure to do that will cause us not to examine ourselves. And I listen to other preachers too who are in the Word. And I sit in my room sometimes being ministered to by them with conviction running over my shoulders. Because it's God's Word. 
maybe a passage or a book I hadn't read in a while and forgot what God was saying to us in it. That happened to me this week. One guy hit me right between the eyes, and I thought he was over, and then he kicked me in the knee. <laughs> then he slapped me on the back of the head. And I thought, yes, bring it. If I'm wrong, I want to know it because I want to get straight. Amen. Do you know what Jehovah Sikhanu means in the Old Testament? It's one of the names we call God. It means straightness and a plumb line. That's why we call it righteousness. Straightness and a plumb line. Straight. God is straight and He's trying to straighten us out. Tell your neighbor and say, God's trying to straighten you out. And one of you said, Woo, it's going to take a while. <laughs> My wife, I think someone said that. <laughs> the fourth thing is that I think these people could have been dealing with is an illusion that comes from, now listen closely, whoo, this is a big one and it's really hurting the church world, is an illusion that comes from corporate or group activity. I went and helped them feed the soup line today. I'm good. And that's a big one for this country. I had a preacher, I didn't know what to think about this, I just kept my mouth shut, said he met people that never wanted to come to church at the door to catch their tithes as they went somewhere else every Sunday. They didn't want to hear God's word, and he didn't want to challenge them on it. Corporate activity. I gave at the office. You know, you, you may never stand behind a podium like God's asked me to do. And by, by the way, I wouldn't be standing here if he hadn't told me to. I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. If he, who much is, uh, the, be not many masters knowing you receive the greater judgment. I'm going to get scrutinized to the nth degree. I understand that. Because my voice is going out, right? And I'm going to be accountable. I'm about ready to quit and go home the more I think about it. <laughs> we got to understand that God wants us focused on His Son. And you can get involved in corporate activity, and that's all well and good, and God may hand you off something to do. But we've watched men and women who became bigger than the call. And we've watched them be destroyed. None of us are bigger than the call. No matter what the call is. But you may say, well, I, it's not important that I show up to church. What if somebody is just like you in this church? And what if God set you up to talk to them out there in that foyer on the way out? And they needed to hear what you have to say more than what I have to say. You may never stand behind here. You probably should be thankful. <laughs> but think about that. We all, you have, all of us have a circle of influence that others are not in. It may overlap at times, right? But there's people you can reach I, can't, I don't even know. And vice versa. 
So we need to get this stuff down so we can be ready, Paul said, to give a man an answer, the hope that's within us. Why do we have this? Well, we trust in God, right? We've been saved. We know our destiny. We have His Word. And God, like this prophetic Word, that's another He talks to us and we believe it. That's what keeps us from being freaked out when the world's freaked out and half the church because God talks to us and He keeps us in line. The Bible says the Spirit will show us things to come before they even happen. And not just corporately, but individually. I've had that happen with my family and things. Driving down the road. So you got something to say to somebody. God wants to use your mouth to share His gospel with somebody. The, the fifth, that's a big one though. An illusion that comes that I'm okay because I'm involved in corporate or group activity. The next one is the biggest one of all. And it's the hard one because we, battle, we all battle with this at times. A refusal to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. John Piper said the gospel does not offer what the sinner wants in the natural. And that's why some people are turned off to it. I put that in my own words. Basically that's what he's saying. He said the, the, sinner, the, the gospel does not offer to the sinner all the natural. So I've seen people run to God to get something fixed long enough for it to get fixed. Quote unquote. And then go right back. They really want a relationship. They don't want anybody in their life with lordship over them telling me this is, this is how you need to live, this is how you should practice your life, and this is what you should make important in your life. That's lordship. And so we go right back to the first part of this verse. It says, everybody says, Lord, Lord, because they didn't make Him Lord. So those are five things I want you to think about when people, you, people in yourself or people you're trying to witness to or people that may act like or say they're saved and they don't really... I told you this last week, I worked in mines. A guy who was a solid believer... And his brother was a scoundrel, I mean, of, the wor- of epic proportions, maybe one of the worst guys in the whole mines. He told me, he was telling me his testimony one day uh, underground, and he, he, I knew they were brothers, and he said, well, my brother's saved too, he just don't act like it. And I thought, what? Tell that to the world. They, don't, they laugh at us when we say that kind of stuff. So the gospel don't all... And sometimes that's where the conflict comes in us who are actually following the Lord, right? Our flesh wants to do it our way and and the gospel don't allow that. Let's go to James chapter 1, verse 22 and Everybody's familiar with this, but look what he says. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So we deceive ourselves. We hear the word. Now, none of us are perfect. You're not going to get the word mastered today or next week or even this year. Just keep moving along. And once you see something in there, think, man, that's not me. I need to mark up to that. So just bring it in. I wish, it, I wish we had it blacked out. If we could turn the lights off to where it would be totally dark, we and could raise them a little at a time, that's how God works in our life. He brings us into more light as we can handle it. He's, he's like a masterful surgeon. He don't blast us with the light all at once. Light is a beautiful thing. Light can bring darkness out. It can run the darkness away. It can give us opportunity to see clearly. Uh, light can be used for... Uh, for doing surgery now. I mean, there's a beautiful thing. 
like, and they, now it's got to where they can use it to destroy things, right? Star Wars and things. Too much light will destroy us. God's not that way. In fact, this is what He's doing in your life. The same thing He did with the children of Israel. When He took them to the promised land, He said, I'm going to move these out little by little so that you don't get overwhelmed. That's what He told His people. He said, I'm going to move these people out of the land little by little so you can go in little at a time. And that's what your journey's about. You don't, you, God's not expecting somebody who's been saved for a year to be the same place as somebody that's been saved 21 years. However, sometimes, sadly to say, that could be the case. Because the 21 person been saved 21 years ain't feeding themselves, not doing what they're supposed to do. But God brings the light in as we can stand it. He, remember what He said? He said He would not put any more on us than we could bear. That's what the Lord told us. So He brings light in a little at a time. He's done that in my life. He's done it in your life probably. You maybe not paid attention, recognize. God don't overwhelm you. That's what cults and false gods do. They overwhelm you. God brings you into the promised land a little at a time as He unfolds it. And that's what we're responsible for. Somebody could be walking their journey here. Put stick man right here. And then... Out here, put stick woman. And this is the path of God. And she may be in front. If we looked at it and talked to her, we may think she's got more spiritual understanding than he does. But they can both be right where they're supposed to be. I about started playing piano. They could both be right where they're supposed to be. In fact, that's just happened to me over the years. Somebody come in frustrate somebody and they say... Well, I think so-and-so, you know, they ought to be out here. And I say, you're not in a position where I'm at, but so-and-so's come so far, you don't know how far they've come. That's why we're not allowed to judge. Get the telephone pole out of your own eye before you get the splinter out of your brothers. Right? So she, Sister Lois, and Brother Larry, they can both be in the will of God perfectly because they're walking their journey as God is unfolding it. We're not in competition. If we are, we all lose and Jack Van Impey won. He knew every verse in the Bible. Just about. Seemed like. We're not in competition. We're unfolding. It's like raising a child. God's raising His children. You don't go over there in the nursery and get your two-year-old granddaughter and say, get out there and cut the grass. What's wrong with you? Should have had the grass cut already. We don't do that, God, and neither does God. So we got these, and this is what happened in some of the churches I was around growing up. Somebody come get saved, and before they could get out of the door, they were loaded down with so much junk, they didn't even want to come back to church. So we got to understand. He says, Don't be doers, if, uh, but be doers of the word, not hearers only. For if anyone is hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty of the word and continues in it, it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one shall be blessed in what he does. You're going to be more blessed by following God's word than you will otherwise. That's just how this is set up. Now let's go back to Matthew. Look at verse 21. Or excuse me, verse 24. He says... Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. So whatever you have in your life, base it off Scripture. See what God says about how you should treat your wife or your husband. See what God says about lying. See what God says about your money. See what He says. He's got something to say about all of it. See what He says about all of it and then tie in with Him. Because that's how it works. That's how this life is designed to work. And then He says, And it rained, descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and did not fall for its fountain. But everyone... Now here's what He compares people to. Same thing James is doing. Uh, who hears these sayings of mine. This is Jesus talking and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. That's what happens. If we don't build on God's Word, and that's what we see unfold a lot of times, even in people we know, they don't really build, they look like they got the world by the tail, but they don't build on God's Word, and sooner or later the right storm comes by, and bam. Takes them out. Because they've been building their whole life on sand. I read this story several years ago, many years ago. The family of the year. I don't know how they determined that. But whoever decided that. The family of the year that had the world by the tail in New York. Was voted the family of the year. And before the year was out. All of them was dead but the, but the father. The father come home one day, the mother went nuts, killed all the children and killed herself. Had one boy left alive when he walked through the door and he said, only thing, the last thing he heard, his son said to him, mom's gone crazy. Family of the year. Oh, he had a big time corporate, all that stuff. They had everything life could, could offer, but they built on the sand. Here's the thing. You go back to those ten virgins. That house that's built on the sand for a while looks just like the one built on the rock. And here comes the rain. Just like those ten virgins. It's like that video I showed you before we started this. All of those people are at church. But not all of them were ready. So those ten virgins, they look the same. They had the same equipment. They were in the same spot. They all appeared to be waiting for the same thing. But half of them wasn't ready. According to Matthew 25. And that's Jesus talking again. And if you want to water this stuff down and act like hell ain't no big deal, Jesus didn't do that. Now I'm talking to everybody, so you all just bear with me. Because we know everybody's listening. Jesus didn't do it. In fact, Jesus talked twice as much about hell as he did heaven. Probably necessary since more going that way than the other way. Try to get their attention. Then he says, the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on it, and that house fell, and great was its fall. Sometimes people are more committed to churches and movements in the churches than they are the Scripture. I give kudos to John Kilpatrick. Anybody know who John Kilpatrick is? John, they had a revival breakout in Pensacola, and that, it went on for years. 
people are getting saved. I was actually there a couple of times. But there's another movement going along at that time, and it was a movement that was a flesh movement. But it wrapped itself in Christianity. And he said, I was just so desperate before revival came. This happened because the devil always sends the counterfeit before God brings the real, seems like. And so he, he was telling us this story. I've met him, talked to him. He was telling us this story, and he was saying that before, he said, I was going to the church. I was getting up every morning in my room or at church at 4 in the morning praying for revival. And he said, so I was desperate. He said, I, I felt like I shouldn't have these people in, but I just wanted revival so bad. He said, I opened my church doors up to it. And he said, they brought them in. He said, I was sitting on the platform and said, the Holy Spirit started talking to me. And he said, he started showing me spotters. He said, that's a spotter, that's a spotter, that's a spotter, that's a spotter. And the main guy in the platform was using those spotters to start stuff in the flesh. And he said, they got it going. And said, I, I said, I felt so horrible. He said, I got up in the middle of the service and shut it down. And said, this ain't going on. This is not of God. He sent all those people out, closed the service down. Now, if you're really of God and you get turned away, you're supposed to shake the dust off your feet and move on, right? I've experienced that. All of us experienced that to some degree. I've, we've all. You're supposed to love them and move on. When he shut that down, they had to call the police because the people that he kicked out came back with bricks and things to break the church windows. He exposed that spirit. But he said, I was so desperate for revival. And he got it. He got the counterfeit first. But he got it after that. That's when Lyndall Cooley and all the Lord just really exploded down there and saved countless people. That thing spread around the world. You've got to beware of the counterfeit. And you better stay committed to God's Word. If somebody or some voice tells you something that you can't back up with this, I don't care how good it sounds, you better toss it. This is it. And because we don't have enough churches standing this way that this is it, we got crazy stuff going on in our churches, and that's why the world won't come around. The person who can't be offended is the person who is in it for the Lord. You watch them. You'll find, I've noticed this for 30-some years, the person you can't offend, I don't care what you do, they'll stick because they're in it for God. They're not in it for themselves. They're not in it to do their thing. They're not in it to get glory. They're in it because they love Jesus Christ. Steve can tell you this, he's out today, but Steve can tell you this, I don't know how many times I've, and he gets it, but I've encouraged him over the years, you know, people come and go. I said, listen, if they don't fall in love with Jesus Christ, they ain't staying. Because we cut the fat too close to the meat around here. If they don't fall in love with Jesus Christ, they're not staying. You know what God told Gideon? He said, go out there with your 30,000 or 20-some thousand. Every one of them that's afraid, tell them, get on back to the house. He said, tell them, go on home. And then he said, whatever you've got left, we're going to go down to the water and we're going to whittle that on down to 300. I don't think he told him that or Gideon had been 
but that's what wound up happening, right? So I've always said, if we got 300 people, I said that like a good country boy, didn't I? If we got 300 people that are sold out, that the devil can't push around, I tell you, we can affect this whole region for the glory of God. You guys come to the instruments. I had more to say, but I'm going to quit there because I believe the Lord's through, and I don't want to run out. That's Him. That's what I tell young preachers sometimes. They, they preach good, and then they go on and on and on. I said, man, you did a good job, but you missed your exit. The Holy Spirit got off back here at exit 40, and you kept going to exit 60. <laughs> when the Holy Spirit's done, you're done. <laughs> Let's stand to our feet. The Lord's good. Examine yourself. Know that you're in the faith. Then that gives you sure footing, right? Whatever's in this Word that's taught by the Lord Jesus Christ, live in it. Follow. If you miss the mark, repent, get up and keep moving, right? That's how we live. Righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets up seven times. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a moment. Lord, we thank You for this opportunity. And we are in a spot where we know the urgency of leading people to You. We know that salvation is the greatest gift and that people can go to heaven in every kind of physical condition. Blind people can go to heaven. People without limbs can go to heaven. People in every condition can go to heaven. But they must be born again. Our physical condition does not keep us from going to heaven. It's our spiritual condition. So Lord, we just pray that You'll burden us to share our faith. Maybe some share it through letters in the mail. Maybe some share it through an email. Maybe some share it in Kroger, Walmart. Some share it on the job. We know we're running out of time, God, and we're going to have to give an account of ourselves. And it's so easy to make life about us and forget all the lost that are around us. If you're here and watching me somewhere around the world, we, I challenge you or maybe I should say I invite you to find you a place to pray and do those things I've talked about. Lay your self-righteousness down. Lay yourself down. Repent of your sins. Ask Jesus to come into your heart and make a commitment to follow Him no matter what the cost. Maybe you're here in this building and you need to do the same thing. Maybe you're here and you're the prodigal and you need to come home. You know the Lord's waiting on you on the porch. Will you just come home as we worship Him this morning? This altar is open.